what's the worst that can happen? If I try this and I don't like it, if I try this and I can't adapt to a different environment, I could probably still find a job back in what I thought my old career path was, but I'll probably learn things along the way. And um, as it's turned out, instead of maybe like a detour, it was more of an off-ramp. Mm. I wasn't running from manufacturing, but the opportunity to work in healthcare was an opportunity I was thankfully in a position to take advantage of. Because if I hadn't had that opportunity to go visit the hospital in Scottsdale, if it hadn't piqued my interest, if I hadn't built some confidence of, yeah, these skills are transferable, if you know, I'd only been at that other company for a year, which maybe resume-wise might have looked a little too soon to leave, you know, things, things lined up. In, right. in a way that I'm very thankful for. You're listening to the Wise Women Podcast, Season 5, Episode 169. I'm your host, Alicia Wilford, founder of Yoke and Abundance, coach to entrepreneurs, creatives, and seekers. This podcast introduces you to women on their journey to flourishing businesses and lives. In today's episode, I'm sharing my conversation with Mark Graben, author and host of the popular podcast, My Favorite Mistake. Welcome back. I am so excited to get to dive into today's episode with all of you. We have another awesome guy who is coming on the podcast today, and I know that I am on a mission to share stories from amazing women, but I'm meeting a lot of amazing people in general these days. And so I am expanding who we are talking to because I think you're going to get a lot out of today's guest. So today's guest, Mark Graven, is an author of the award-winning book, Lean Hospitals, Improving Quality, Patient Safety, and Employee Engagement. Mark is also co-author with Joel Swartz of Healthcare Kaizen engaging frontline staff in sustainable, continuous improvements, and the executive guide to healthcare Kaizen. His most recent book is Measure of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. He is also the creator and editor of the anthology book, Practicing Lean. He serves as a consultant to organizations through his company, Consistency Inc., and through the firm, Value Capture. He's also a senior advisor at the technology company Kai Nexus. He has focused on healthcare improvement since 2005 after starting his career in industry at General Motors, Dell, and Honeywell. Mark is the host of podcasts including Lean Blog Interviews, My Favorite Mistake, and Habitual Excellence presented by Value Capture. Mark has a BS in industrial engineering from Northwest University and an MS in mechanical engineering and an MBA from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology's Leaders for Global Operations Program. I am so eager to share this episode with you after a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Fike & Co., a progressive boutique consulting firm that works with entrepreneurs, startups, small to medium-sized companies, and larger organizations to cultivate a place where people love coming to work. With a focus foremost on diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equality, Fike & Co. pushes business leaders to push the boundaries of what a great 
workplace environment means and is for all of their employees. If you are starting from scratch with a small team or if you are looking to grow your current team, Fike & Co. can help to scale your business in a way that both adds to the bottom line while also boosting engagement. From talent acquisition, onboarding, and compensation to HR compliance, performance management, and employee relations, Fike & Co. has worked with more than 50 companies across the country and worldwide in various stages of growth. If you are looking for strategic guidance on people programs or interim people leadership, contact Fike & Co. Your people will thank you. Mark Graven, it is so lovely to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Alicia. Thanks for inviting me. So I am just over the moon to have you on the show today because you have a podcast about one of my favorite topics in the whole wide world, and it's called My Favorite Mistake. Yes. Tell me. <laughs> yes, I love it. Yes. And for those my coffee, my watching. Coffee yeah. yeah, for those listening, um, Mark just lifted his mug and what does it say? Well, it's the My Favorite Mistake logo. And then maybe later, if you want, there's some sort of mantras on the other side of the mug that might be fun to explore. Oh, we should definitely do that. So can you tell me how did your podcast, My Favorite Mistake, get started? Well, yeah, uh, there's a couple elements to it. I mean, I've been fascinated by this idea of learning from mistakes for for a while now you know the 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 core of the work that i do professionally as an engineer turned consultant is around helping people improve helping organizations improve and there there's a methodology a lot of this is built off of um that that is often referred to as lean manufacturing or people might have heard of what's then sometimes called lean startup or or lean healthcare which is where I've ended up working. And you know, I started this project, I was probably about 20, it was about five, six years ago, about 20 years into my career. And I kind of noticed a pattern where you know you, you, you see people sharing things at conferences or posting things online. And you know, with experience, like there's an opportunity to try to coach or mentor others that don't have as much experience or are new to a field or to a practice. But at the same time, like I would catch my sometimes being snarky about it. Mm. And that's not good. That's not helpful. That's not a good look for me. And so, you know, I was reflecting on some of that. And the concept of the book Practicing Lean is it's for one, it's borrowing a word that's used in, in realms like medicine. Why do doctors get to say they're practicing medicine or practicing law is commonly used uh, in, in your realm, yoga, practicing yoga, right? Yeah. You don't learn yoga or learn medicine to a point where there's not anything more to learn, right? And then the rabbit that. hole is deep. <laughs> it is. And the more you learn, the more, you know, you don't know there's, there's those cycles there. So I shared, I wrote a couple of stories, chapters, essays about mistakes I made in the first couple of years of my career, mistakes that stuck with me or had enough of an impact where, you know, I, I reflected and said, well, I think I've learned to avoid repeating those mistakes. I've grown personally and professionally. 
But I think sharing those mistakes and what, what I wish I had done differently mm-hmm. in the spirit of when we're all new to something, we're bound to make mistakes due to lack of knowledge, lack of knowing how to practice well or not being practiced. And then I, I invited um, a lot of people I knew and, and a couple of people I didn't know so well. Um, 15 other authors all contributed chapters of their kind of early career mistakes and lessons learned. And as a reminder to people, or again, mainly as a reminder to me, be careful when criticizing people who are new to a field or to a discipline. So, um, so that, that project is, you know, sort of, you know, inspired by some of those thoughts and feelings. Um, all of the proceeds from the book are, are donated um, to a nonprofit that I'm on the board of called the Louise Batts Patient Safety Foundation. And so it's that, that project was a labor of love. It was an experiment in self-publishing. It was, it was all sorts of things. But then, you know, fast forward to 2020, I've been doing a podcast about what we call lean. Um, it's called Lean Blog Interviews because I started with a blog and then I started doing podcasting. And that name is a bit of a mistake. It's clunky, right? Hmm. Lean Blog Interviews. I don't know. I could have come up with a better name. Lesson learned there. But when you've had a podcast for a while, I don't know if this is happening for you now, Alicia, um, PR firms will find you mm-hmm. and will start pitching guests. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these pitches are quite generic. They're blasting them out to lots of shows. Okay, that's fine. And I would either just delete them or sometimes I would reply and say, that person sounds great, but my podcast is very niche and they're probably not a fit. So like if you were doing a a podcast about yoga, like you might maybe accept a guest who talks about uh, meditation. Why do I say medication? That's me working in healthcare. (laughs) Another, Another mistake. You know, you might have something that's maybe adjacent to the core. I don't know if that's a good example. But then if somebody wanted to come on and talk about keto diets and weight loss, you might say, well, that's not my show. Yeah. Right. And um, during during the relative first couple of months of the pandemic, I was working from home and, and trying to find different ways to keep busy. And I would get these pitches. And then one day a pitch came in um, offering a chance to interview Kevin Harrington, who was one of the first sharks on the yeah. show Shark Tank. He was on season one. I thought, I would love to meet him. I would love to interview him. Let me find a way to say yes, instead of having to keep saying no. And so I bounced a couple ideas off of a couple of PR firms. Like it could be just a very general business podcast. Um, but then I also had this idea, and I love the Cheryl Crow song, My Favorite Mistake. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's I, I, I love that song. I think she's singing about a love mistake. My podcast is about business mistakes. But so anyway, Kevin Harrington was open to being a guest. And so we recorded it. He was great. His, like, you know, because I was afraid, like, I don't want someone to come on and say, my, my favorite mistake is that I'm just too awesome and I'm, success comes too easily to me. And they're like, no, that's not interesting to talk about. But he told a story about a mistake in his uh, telemarketing uh, infomercial career that could have bankrupted his company and how he learned from it. And, and I thought how powerful that somebody who is so successful would have, we could frame it as courage or humility or vulnerability to talk about a mistake from their past and what they've learned and how they've moved forward. Because that's the spirit of the podcast. It's not 
mocking people for making mistakes because we all make them. And if there's if there's people out there who think maybe I'd be curious how common this mindset is like, you know, people are people who are really successful probably haven't made mistakes. And I think, well, probably the opposite is true. They've probably made more mistakes. And this is why I love the framing for your book, Alicia. They've probably had lots of little failures that they learned from to help prevent big failures. Yeah. And I think you probably, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this then. I mean, it, one of the things I've started saying is that our little failures are actually our best kept success secrets. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm really fascinated by that and and the tie-in specifically to the beginner mindset, Mm -hmm. because I'm wondering if when you started to reframe how you spoke to beginners, I'm wondering, I've always heard it put that the beginner mind has the best insights. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you've been able to see that, if that's uh, true. I, I think, well, I think it's true. And I think whether it's mentoring or learning, like learning should be happening in all directions, right? So uh, the one example would be, let's say in a corporate setting, typically the older person mentors the younger person, but maybe a better form of mentoring is the sort of, you know, bi-directional or multi-directional mentoring, where of course the younger person has things to teach the older person. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had um, kind of a loose, well, it's not, uh, uh, a group, some people might call it a mastermind group, or it's it's just more of a, um, like it's not, it's informal, it's not a paid mastermind program, but a, a group of podcasters that, who I know, and a couple of people were invited, you know, as a friend of a friend. And we meet every couple of months, and we have a, a group on Facebook where we share and compare things. And in that group, we've tried to have that spirit of, you know, I've been podcasting for 16 years. That doesn't mean I know everything. We've got people in the group who had just started podcasting in the past year, right? So somebody who's new might be, not just might be, can and is teaching me some of the newer things where I'm, you know, I might be set in my ways. Experience of, you know, maybe repeating the same things over and over isn't necessarily better. So I I totally agree with you. Like we all have something to learn from each other. Yeah. All right. How did you get into the healthcare piece of things? I'm so fascinated by that. Yeah. Because you have, and I'm curious about it a lot because you're such an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering what came first for you and where is the, the, the passion? Yeah. Yeah. I had not moved away totally from corporate life at that point. So in, in my career, I mean, I'd started off thinking I was going to worked for big companies my whole career. I started my career at General Motors, and then two years later, went to grad school. Um, taking that job at General Motors was a favorite mistake in uh, in a way. Um, I went to grad school, and that was very much focused on business and manufacturing and have a career progressively, hopefully moving up the leadership ranks and probably big companies. But when I was in grad school at MIT, I got my eyes open to this whole world of entrepreneurship which I really didn't have any exposure to growing up. And that was a great opportunity. Now, I, I took my first job out of grad school at a large, faster growing company. You know, so smaller than GM, faster growing. I took a job at Dell Computer, which was also a favorite mistake in some different ways. 
Um, but I met, and so that wasn't really, I, I, I was having doubts about you know, this bigger company environment. And being in Austin, Texas, a big startup entrepreneurship town, I met a founder of a company and, and I joined a software startup company in late 2000. And that was my first kind of you know, dip into entrepreneurship. And then after ups and downs of that, um, I, I kind of overcorrected and went back to another big company. <laughs> and then quickly realized, oh, wait, yeah, I left this environment for, for all the reasons. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had, so then how did I get involved in healthcare? Back in 2005, through a local networking group in Phoenix, where I was working at the time, um, there was a local networking group of people who did this lean manufacturing type of work at different large non-competing companies. And we would get together and visit each other's facilities and compare notes. And one of those opportunities then was um, a, a visit hosted by two women who had left Motorola and they were doing work with a hospital in Scottsdale. So we got to go visit and see what they were doing to apply these methodologies around engineering and management and systems and continuous improvement to healthcare. It was, that was really eye-opening. Because again, I think I'd never, I would have never thought yeah, me either. Apply. And so then summer of 2005, my wife got a job offer that meant moving to Texas, which meant I was going to have to change jobs. And then um, right place, right time, I got contacted by a recruiter from Johnson & Johnson who was looking to hire people into a consulting group that they had that worked out in the field with medical labs and, uh, and hospitals. So I thought, well... You know, this would be really my first job uh, as an external consultant instead of really being kind of on the inside. This would be my first opportunity to work in healthcare. Uh, and I thought, and I, you know, and when you think about potential mistakes, maybe this is a helpful framing. I kind of asked myself, like, what's the worst that can happen mm-hmm. if I try this and I don't like it? If I try this and I can't adapt to a different environment? I could probably still find a job back in what I thought my old career path was, but I'll probably learn things along the way. Yeah. And um, as it's turned out, instead of maybe like a detour, it was more of an off ramp. Mm. I wasn't running from manufacturing, but the opportunity to work in healthcare was, um, you know, it's just an opportunity I was thankfully in a position to take advantage of. Because if I hadn't had that opportunity to go visit the hospital in Scottsdale, if it hadn't piqued my interest, if I hadn't built some confidence of, yeah, these skills are transferable. If, you know, I'd only been at that other company for a year, which maybe resume wise might have looked a little too soon to leave. You know, things things lined up in, right. in a way that I'm very thankful for. Lots of kismet there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. All right. I wanted to kind of turn the tables a little bit. I know you probably get asked this question a lot, but I, I am curious what your favorite mistake is. Yeah. So I can share a couple of those. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I say taking that job at General Motors was a favorite mistake because the first year there was awful. It was a really toxic work environment before people used that word, I think, right? So long story short, that first year was really bad. It had me questioning all sorts of things of like, what kind of jobs or career am I really looking for? Is this really how adults behave in the workplace? Like it was, it was, it was rough. But the two things that made that then a favorite mistake, and I'm glad I stuck with it, right? Because there, there, there was there, 
it might have been a mistake to quit that job after the first year mm. because here's here's what I probably here's what I would have missed out on. So in that job, there were some great people there, of course. And one of those people um, who I was was mentoring me and I was learning a lot from had gone to a program at MIT at the time. It was called Leaders for Manufacturing. Now, I already had in my mind, I thought I wanted to go get an MBA. I thought I would go to business school, but I was in Michigan. So I thought, well, University of Michigan or maybe go back to Northwestern where I did my undergrad, you know, great schools. I think I could have gotten it. You know, I was thinking, well, those are schools that I could get into and have a great education. But Steve really thankfully encouraged me to pursue this program at MIT. Mm. He, he, he knew that I would be, it would be a good fit for me and vice versa. And MIT would have never been on my radar. I mean, not just maybe because it's East Coast, but, you know, even though I had the engineering and technical background, like it's just, it wasn't something I was thinking about. So I am really, really grateful for one to have that experience. And then thankfully that second year at General Motors, they brought in a new plant manager who had been at GM a long time, but had the opportunity to learn really deeply from Toyota. Mm. in a joint venture plant that GM and Toyota ran together for about 20 years. He was a breath of fresh air. And to see how a different leadership style could start to turn a place around. Like, so without being there, without staying there, I wouldn't have been exposed to all of that. So I describe my GM experience, at least, you know, for one, as being a favorite mistake. Um, can, can, I, can I take a minute and share? The, yes. The other I want to hear the other one, but before you do, I kind of want to put a pin in this because yeah. I coach so many clients that they're in jobs that they either they're not the right fit for them or it's a toxic work environment. And I think what's so beautiful about the story that you just shared is that there is always some, there's always gold. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to look for it in the things that we think are horrible sometimes. Uh And so I really appreciate you sharing that specific story because I know so many clients that might even be listening to this right now that um, are in these work environments that are not the right fit. And I just want them to remember that there is still something positive there Mm -hmm. if they continue to look for it. And it reminds me of like the Sheryl, Sheryl Sandberg absolutely you know it's it's complex it's a complicated book for lots of different reasons but there's something that she talks about in that book that i think is so important it's the mm-hmm. idea of to not leave the table until you're done mm-hmm. and it sounds to me like in that scenario you even though you weren't happy you didn't leave the table right and and i could have and and that's the the thing of you know i've interviewed people who've made talked about mistakes of leaving a job too soon, staying with a job too soon, either of those, like the, the action or the inaction, or you know, not leaving a job is a choice, it's an action. Right. Um, either of those could be a mistake. And, and, and I'm not saying this is the only question to consider, but to think through risks or trade-offs, the risk of leaving versus the risk of staying, mm-hmm. I think might be helpful to think through. It doesn't mean we have a crystal ball, but um, you know, as we try to make these decisions, I think it's important to, to think and recognize, I very well might make a mistake, so how would I course correct from that? Like I thought about that when I took that first job in healthcare. I'm like, well, this could be a mistake. Right. 
I'm not taking it because I think it is a mistake, right? But there, there was there was a backup plan. I'm like, well, you know, maybe after stick with it for a couple of years because at that point I didn't want a resume that showed a lot of job hopping. So yeah, I could have I could have I could have gotten out of that. Like I could have maybe stayed at J and J and worked back in their manufacturing, or I could have gotten back into a manufacturing job someplace else. Yeah, but I, I agree with what you're saying though. Of, of, of hopefully there is some gold to be found. Um, all, I don't know. And always, I don't know. I mean, if it's really, truly not there, then um, maybe it is time to move on. Right. We get scared though. Sometimes, you know, there's so mm-hmm. much fear involved in the leaving mm-hmm. piece of things. All right. But I definitely want to hear your other mistake. Sure. Um, so, well, let me tell you just real briefly, the one story that I led with in the book, Practicing Lean was about you know, it was still real. It wasn't my first year of my career. It was still in the first decade of my career. But when I worked for that last manufacturing company, I was going through a certification program and I had to do a project. And, you know, the culture there was not one of really engaging the frontline employees in change. It was still like a very expert driven culture. So as an engineer going through the certification, they're like, all right, expert, go in and fix things. And I felt kind of uncomfortable with it, right? I wanted to engage people. I take some ownership, though, of not doing, uh, uh, maybe not fighting hard enough on that. Mm-hmm. So kind of going along with the predominant culture, I was doing a lot of it myself. I wasn't engaging people. I wasn't getting input. I wasn't collaborating enough. And the project that I did worked well enough to get certified, but it really didn't have any lasting impact. Mm-hmm. And so the lesson learned is to, fight harder or not get into a situation that would be similar. So as a consultant, I really guard against saying, you know, if somebody said, well, we want to hire you to come in and fix it for us. I don't want to do that. Right. So there's a lesson learned from that. Yeah. Like within the collaboration and being able to bounce ideas off of each other ask people what their main problems are. Mm-hmm. That's where the learning is, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And what are their ideas? You know, can you get agreement that there's a problem? Sometimes people don't agree that there's a problem, but that engagement leads to buy-in, like buy-in and people use that phrase. How do we get people to buy into change? That's not something you install at the very last minute. Like mm. the buy-in is created along the way through engagement. And I learned, I think, some lessons about that by reflecting on something I would consider to be um, a favorite mistake. And then, but then there's one other story that's shorter than, or oh. I don't know if you had a follow up on that other story. But you tell, please. Okay. So I'd already mentioned I left that job at Dell Computer after just under two years. Uh, you know, I got to do some cool work, but I realized, like, I don't think this is a fit for me culturally. I couldn't envision a career there. But working there, I met my wife. We've been, we had our 20th anniversary last October. So we met, she was not also a Dell employee. I mean, like this could be a mistake, trying, you know, dating, dating somebody you work with, or you know, the risk, probably the, the hard thing is breaking up if you break up with somebody you work with. Yeah. But um, she was there uh, working for a large consulting firm on a project with a huge team. So like literally our first interaction was an email scheduling a meeting. And the first time we ever met was in a little conference room. 
and then, really good story. And then I'm gonna I'll I'll, I'll uh, do the Seinfeld thing, and then yeah, yada yada yada, we get married. And, you know, so <laughs> you, I shouldn't yada yada that, but um, but I'm I'm I, if I hadn't taken that job at Dell Computer, I wouldn't have met my wife, and so that is certainly uh, the workplace the the career decision is a favorite mistake. Mm, I I love that so much. Well, and it's funny you bring that up. So. Uh, my boyfriend bought the house next to mine in 2020 and we started dating almost immediately. And I remember thinking, oh man, if we break up, he lives right next to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Going okay. So (laughs) it's awkward going out to get the mail and oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm also curious if you've heard a story on your podcast that is one of your favorite mistake stories that you want to share? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of them. There are but a let, lot of them. Let me, so let, let me share though, um, episode two um, was somebody I had reached out to. Um, I had had a chance to meet him uh, personally when we lived in San Antonio, because he's a friend of a neighbor and close friend of ours. Uh, he was at the time a uh, member of Congress from Texas, uh, Representative Will Hurd. And, uh, you know, so I, he was, he had already announced, so he served two terms in the house and then decided he was going to retire from the house and go back to the private sector for, you know, all sorts, all the reasons. And he was a Republican from Texas and, and he, and he left. And so I knew he was on his way out of office. So I reached out through his press office. I'm a friend of so-and-so I've met. Uh, representative heard I host this podcast and for all I could do is ask, right? Like they would either delete the email or say, no, I'm sorry. He can't do that because he's got to be on face the nation. Like he's on all the main news shows being interviewed and commenting on things, even while he's in office, I'm just this little startup podcast, but he said, yes. And so I was thrilled about that. And, and he told a story his favorite mistake was the first time he ran for Congress. He, um, in the primary, was one of the top, he was the top vote getter, but he didn't get 50%. So it went into a runoff between him and one other candidate. And as he told the story, like he basically discounted and chose not to listen to advice from his political consultants about the strategy for the runoff. Like he thought I, I I won the most votes the first time. I'm going to just keep doing more of what I'm doing. He lost the runoff. Oh, man. And what I really appreciated in his telling of that story is that he took responsibility for the decision. He admitted it was a mistake. He didn't throw others under the bus or try to blame them which I'm sure happen, that happens a lot in many workplaces. I'm sure it happens in politics. Um, so he learned from that though. And when he ran again, two years later, if I remember right, it also went to a runoff and he followed the strategy because he learned and his, his, consult, his consultants were trying to tell him a runoff when it's you versus one other person requires a different strategy than you versus a field <laughs> of competitors. And, and he listened and he won. That's a great story. I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. So those those stories set the bar high then for everybody else. But, and I didn't know how many people are going to want to talk about mistakes. And thankfully it's been a lot of people. 
yourself included. Yeah, I I was so so when I started kicking around the idea of failure or mistakes or setbacks, these challenges mm-hmm. that we think nobody else has or no one else has ever encountered before. I was so surprised at, I started to have a morning writing group, a morning group coaching call. We write, and then we talk about what comes up. And when we first started this talking about this topic, I mean, we talked about it for like two weeks straight. Like Hmm. we couldn't shut up about it, about, oh yeah, well, I hate talking about failure and this is why, and this is what it brings up for me. And whoa, let me, if I think about failure differently, this is what I... So it became this whole thing. And I was like, wow, we all are kind of secretly obsessed with mistakes. Yeah. I mean, and, and hopefully obsessed with like not dwelling on what we've done, but like finding, and I'm trying to get better at this, like trying to find a proper level of reflection and then thinking about what am I going to do differently? Because there's all sorts of mistakes. I think like for, you know, uh, the first time you're thrown into a situation that you don't expect. Mm-hmm. you might make a mistake and then you can process it and be better prepared for the next time you face that situation. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, but not beating yourself up or not, not being too hard on yourself. I, I don't think um like totally brushing it off and saying, well, eh, well, you know, things happened. It was meant to be, what can you do? Like, well, I think you can reflect and learn and grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else you would like to share today? Well, um, I, yeah, I, I, I was thankful to have you on on my podcast because I think the alignment between what you write about as little failures and the mindsets on the My Favorite Mistake podcast are are incredibly um, aligned. And you know, I think there's um, you know imp- important mindsets. Oh, can I can I read the coffee mug? Too? Oh, yes, the mantras, please. Because these 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 mantras, and I'll uh, thank my friend Karen Ross, who is also one of my first guests on the podcast who kind of helped me think through and process this. And, and, and I think this is really highly aligned to what you write about. So it says here on the mug, four simple statements. And I, I intentionally had the mug made. I typically drink my coffee right-handed. So I'm not looking at my cartoony face. I'm looking at the mantras. So uh, it says first, uh, be kind to yourself. Mm. Nobody is perfect. We all make mistakes. The important thing is continuing to learn from our mistakes. And I think those are helpful reminders uh, to me and hopefully to, uh, to others. Gosh, we all need to plaster that on <laughs> like our computer, our coffee mugs, our mirror. That's, that's very poignant. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks. Thanks for letting, thanks for letting me share it. Well, I've got one more question for you that I ask everybody who comes on the show. Um, How do you live a life of abundance? That's a, I mean, that's a great question. I love the idea of like, I I, I don't want to live life as a zero sum game, Mm -hmm. scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. I win, you lose. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that I just, I, I, I don't like that. I do try to practice more of this, you know, abundance mindset of if we all help each other, we all win. We can grow the pie instead of splitting up the pie, you know, differently. So I, I, I th- you know, I think an example is like, you know, um, I, I think, well, you and I, I think are demonstrating, you know, here where 
uh, I don't see your book as competitive to my podcast. I want people, I want people to read your book. And people who read your book then may, in a way, through learning about you and think then they may learn about my podcast. So I think I think that that sharing and then you having me as a guest on your podcast is maybe one reflection of abundance mindset, right? My girlfriends call that coopetition, mm-hmm. where the places where there might be traditional competition, mm-hmm. where it's we're talking about the same things, but if we collaborate, we actually make each other better. Yeah. And yeah. I love that 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 you just highlighted that once again for me of how beautiful that synergy can be. Yeah. Well, and the, you know that podcast group that I mentioned uh, uh, earlier, I think is an example of trying to to foster that abundance mindset. Look, I mean, uh, people have limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, our podcasts are competing for people's time and attention. Sometimes we're competing for guests, or some you know sometimes we have the same guest on multiple podcasts. But I think this idea of helping each other out um, is is something I appreciate. But even going back to, say, 2005, when I started blogging in in this space around lean manufacturing, I could think of off top of my head, there were maybe four or five other bloggers who were kind of part of that era where we, we, we may have had like the five most popular blogs in this space, partly a matter of being kind of early adopters of blogging and but within that group, there was, I don't, I can't remember at one moment where people weren't incredibly supportive mm-hmm. and promoting of each other instead of competing and trying to tear somebody else down. And yeah. so I've, I've been fortunate to be part of groups like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. It's really an honor and a pleasure to have you here today. Well, thank, thank you, Alicia. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. A huge thank you to you for tuning in today. Let's do it again next week. In the meantime, I have got a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed today's show and know another woman who needs to hear this episode too, could you share it with her right now? Just text her the link and be sure to let her know why this episode is a must listen. Remember, sharing is caring, so spread the love. Thank you so much for being a part of this Yoke and Abundance community. I do it all for you. I hope these episodes make you feel seen, heard, and loved. A huge thank you to our sponsor, Fike Co. Thank you to Ira Sterling of Julia Sound Recording for our theme music. And thank you to my editor, Tumani Johnson of FX Media for his work on today's episode. Keep creating, making, and sharing it with the world because that is true abundance.